Welcome to Belmont Banter, the official podcast of Whitstable Town FC. Every week we chat to ex-players, supporters and invited guests here on Belmont Banter. Welcome to the official podcast of Whitstable Town FC. Whitstable Town Football Club's main sponsor is Fibertech UK Limited. Hello again, everyone, and uh, welcome to Belmont Banter. And this week we've got James Sherman on the phone. And James, as you will know, if you've been connected with Whitstable Town, had a spell with us. But uh, Australia's the home for you, really, James, isn't it? So start us off on your football journey and then perhaps you'd tell us how you came to come to uh, the UK. Hi, Tony. Um, so I started football very much like a lot of other young lads with a football as a present as a, as a kid and um, played with the school team um, from the age of seven. And yeah, it just kind of went from there. Obviously, being an Australian lad, we have access to a lot of other sports and Football isn't the main one. Um, I can remember growing up, we had there's a channel that used to have the football on it, and it was only the one channel, it was the international channel. Um, so, you know, on a Sunday afternoon for a couple of hours, you'd get one Premier League match. You'd only have an hour and a half, one Premier League match. Um, and a lot of the time that was Manchester United for whoever they were playing because it's through the 90s and they were the roaring success at the time and um yeah that that's what football was like especially here in australia so your first sort of contact with them was obviously at a junior level was it with a school team yeah so we, so i went to um to a school here a christian school and um we just had a standard sort of under sevens under eights so under 12 sort of side and we wore red black and white and, and we called ourselves the devils uh and that obviously in a christian school that got canned pretty quickly when when the staff found out uh, no it was pretty you know it was pretty pretty basic stuff you know a couple goals and pitch marked out and just got on with it it was um entry level football and it was really good that was under sevens. Um, that was under sevens. That, that was under sevens. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's pretty similar to the UK um, in terms of when when football starts or organised football starts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then from there it sort of moves into youth football hit, which is thirteens, fourteens, fifteens, and sixteens. But where I live in Tasmania, um, so that's the little island down the bottom of the the bigger continent of Australia, and um, for, especially then football didn't have the ambition or the support around it that it does today here and so anyone that was interested in having more from their football or developing more from their football had to move away and so i got to 16 and um i had a year or two of senior football here uh, and decided that i wanted some more and so i moved to melbourne um and from there the environment's a lot bigger, the standards a lot higher, the exposure's a lot more. Yeah, and things kind of slowly developed. When you said you moved to Melbourne, do you mean just you on your own then? Just me on my own, yes. I moved out of home um, and I'd contacted a club the year before and organised some trials um, and they went well. And my mum said, look, you can go, but you have to finish your minimum education first. And so I finished that and, and then went on, 
when it all eventuated and emerged, she said, oh, I'd like you to at least finish your, well, it was called VCE. So that's like your entry level into university stuff. Anyway, so I, I you know, I, I got in touch with the club again and they organised me accommodation and place to live. Um, and then they organised to sneak me into a school. By that time, uh, all the schools had shut off their acceptance of students and, um they managed to sneak me into one. I think one of the staff at the club was a, was a teacher there and they got me into a school and um, I ended up living with the club's assistant coach and his family for 18 months. And I think not not long after that, I kind of moved in with some teammates. So that yeah. was quite an adventure then. What it was. It's probably the best decision I ever made because I was, you know, the, at 16, mum did all the cooking and washing and cleaning and all that sort of stuff and moved out of home and none of that happened anymore and I had to grow up pretty fast so it, it was probably the best decision of my life to do that. That was good and what team were you playing for then? So that was at a club called Brunswick City and then from there I spent a season and went to um, a top tier club in Victoria called Whittlesey Zebras and they were a merger of, of two clubs so let me put it into context here in Australia um, all the clubs have a heritage or ethnicity background. So football really started um, from a lot of the migrants that moved to Australia. And so you have hundreds of clubs, but they have like, they're from Greek heritage. So their supporters started them that were from Greece or Croatia or Serbia, Italian. Um, and, and so a lot of the clubs still have those roots attached, heavily attached. Um, and so the club called Whittlesey Zebras was a merger of two Italian clubs. We were managed actually that season by a fella called Peter Ollerton, who was a, I think, I think Peter was from Yorkshire. So he's a Yorkshireman. And um, he did one of the emigrate, he'd emigrated to Australia shortly before, I think it was the 1972 World Cup or 76 World Cup, I believe. And he represented the Socceroos at their first ever World Cup. Oh, brilliant. So he was some yeah. player then? Oh, he was some player and some manager too. Probably the best man manager that I'd ever had. Yeah, and that was an exceptional experience. It was a great season too. We had a really good side and we made what's called the, the grand final here because it's just the setup of the league is a little different to what it's like in the UK. Really good. Just let me take me back to Tas Tasmania again because yep. I, I can understand why you've moved away, but could you just put yep. into context what how many teams there might be in us how big is tasmania um so tasmania oh in terms of the geographical size i don't know what i could compare it to then you know, but you know in hobart the capital city there's 275,000 people oh, um, big, i think yeah. the, okay. the the general the general population of tasmania is around the 600,000 mark yeah a lot of it's inhabitable because of the um the mountains so oh, the mountain well. and the landscape on the west coast you, you can't access. Right, okay, so you're in Australia, you're now about 18, you're yep. enjoying your football, you're playing for a decent yep. club, you've got yep. a really good manager. What was the next move? So I'd been playing then in, in the Victorian Premier League or what was called the Victorian Premier League for, for a season and a half, two seasons. And um, it, it got to the point where I, you know, I was trying to make it as a career at least or move to as high a standard of football as my ability would take me. And, I just got some opportunity to go and trial at 
some top league clubs in Australia. And then from there, I came over to the UK actually and had some trials. So I had a trial at Scunthorpe United when they just got relegated from the championship. And the manager there at the time was Nigel Adkins. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I spent three and a half weeks at Port Vale, um, who at the time were in League Two. And, and nothing really happened there. And after that, I spent a week down at Sligo Rovers. Um, which was a great experience, but by then, it, you know, it had become pretty clear that the opportunities weren't going to happen, and I just wasn't really um, at the standard of professional full-time football. And uh, came back home, back to Australia, and moved to a club called Melbourne Knights, which is a Croatian-supported club. Uh, that's a club where Mark Viduka started his career. Joe Simonic, who who is another. Um, Croatian international player that grew up in Australia. So it's that's probably one of, if not the biggest club outside the A-League here in Australia, yeah. Well, certainly one of the ones that I've heard of, Melbourne Knights, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. well, they're one of the top. You're back in Australia again. How come okay. you pitched up at Whistle Town then? Also, I, when I, so it was 2010, I moved to the UK because I'd met Ian Pullman in, at, when I was playing at Melbourne Knights. Oh, that's right, because Ian was there, wasn't he? Ian was there, that's right. And so that's how I had the connection or at least direction to yeah. move over and end up in Thanet. And so I, I'd moved to the UK and was living with Pulley. And um, I think it was Monday, Mark Monday. Mark Monday, He yeah. was the coach at the time, yeah. So when I first moved, we, we, I was going to transfer to Whit straight away um, but I think you know for whatever reason funds uh, have maybe just taken the job or finances and it just didn't work out and so I didn't sign for anyone when I first moved over because it was March when I got there yeah. anyway so I left it until the pre-season and I started at Margate um, and then after maybe a couple months at Margate I ended up at Whitstable and the goalkeeping coach I think Laney is it yeah Mark Lane, yeah. La Laney had just taken over and yeah, I spent, I don't know how long it was, Tony, maybe three months. And then was it Peter Knott? I think Peter yeah, Knott. Yeah, Peter Knott came in, yeah. He came in and I remember I got sent off for one game and it was in December and it was a standard three-game suspension. It took something like seven or eight weeks to get the suspension served because we had so many game postponements oh, God. that I just didn't do anything for like eight months yeah, for, for eight weeks. The UK weather, eh? The UK weather. God, dear, oh dear, oh dear. And could you, you've got to correct me if I'm wrong here. I've seen you play it, and I'm fairly certain in my mind, it was a while ago, a good few years ago now, but I'm fairly certain in my mind you were a, a sort of, I would describe you as a graceful midfielder. Would I be right? <laughs> Striding Tony, forward. You, you, can you can describe me like that to anyone and everyone if you like but i reckon there's a fair few people that may disagree with you mate. <laughs> but you did play midfield yes i do, I do play midfield yeah, i do yeah, play that's midfield right, that's, that's right. right yeah yeah i i thought you did i thought you i actually liked the way you played to be honest it was oh wait, I, I look i ran around a lot i had lots of <laughs> there's not too much graceful about my football mate <laughs> After your period at Whitstable, having said that you uh, you tried the program and felt that quite honestly, you were quite honest enough to say that, you know, you, you knew you weren't going to make the grade. Um, how yeah. much longer did you stay in the UK then? Well, then, so from Whitstable, I, did, I, uh, I think I had a little bit of time off and 
I spent some time at Hearn Bay, and then I look at my, my, my the majority of my football was played at Ramsgate Football Club. Yeah. So I was there for three seasons. Yeah. So I spent my time there, and the I really the time, enjoyed was, it. Was it Jim Ward? Was there? No, I never played for Wardy. Tim Dixon. Tim Dixon, good manager. Tim Tim Dixon, good manager. So that, that he was probably in charge of the best spell that I was involved with at the club there at the time. And then after Tim, we had Justin Lutchford for a very brief period. Dean Hill for a for half a season. And then Simon Halsey. All oh, right. Oh, so you. Yeah. All the guys I know. I mean, Simon. All the guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, all the guys you know. I you played know. for all the clubs that <laughs> everyone else did at the time, yeah, which I'm, right. I'm sure still happens, you know. It does. That, that little part area. of Southeast Kent is like a round yeah. robin, isn't it? Do you know what it I spoke is, to, it is. L- listen to this. I spoke to you'll you'll see this coming up in the future. There's a guy called Lee Bossom who was a good centre forward for us a few years ago. And I just uh-huh. did an interview with his father, who also played for the town years and years ago, but also ended up as manager. And the pair of them spent their whole career between Whitstable, Snowden, Ashford, Canterbury City, Snowden, Whitstable, Ashford, Canterbury City. It was like a round robin. Unbelievable. But it's just that little corner, isn't it? It is, yeah. Look, it's also so close and players want to play, don't they? And if you're not getting opportunities at some some places, it's just very simple to go down the road, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. You, you finished your career UK-wise at Ramsgate. How old were you I then? I was 26. So I was 26 when I finished up at Ramsgate. Um, and that's when I, you know, 2015, I moved back to Tasmania where I'm at now. But yeah. You'd moved away from Tasmania because the football opportunities weren't really there. Had things changed right. a lot? Then? Yeah, they had. So, so it wasn't probably long after I got, well, when I moved to the UK in 2010, I, I knew that in terms of a peref- professional career or anything of a very decent standard, wasn't going to happen. So, you know, but I still loved playing. And, you know, there's an opportunity to earn a little bit of money on the side as well as work. Um, and that's what I did in the UK. I did my carpentry apprenticeship in the UK. So I learned my trade. Yeah, so that was, you know, when I moved back to Tasmania, in terms of a career in playing or opportunities in playing, I just wanted to enjoy it. And, you know, financially, if there was opportunity to earn some money playing here as well, I was going to take that. But the focus was probably going to move away to coaching at some stage. What club did you rejoin or did you join a different club when you got back to Tasmania? So when I got back to Tasmania, I joined the club that I'd left 10 years earlier. That happens. Yeah, and that was a club called... It's that comfort factor, isn't it? You know people. Yeah, yeah. um, It had changed heavily. Um, So that's that's a club called Hobart Zebras, or it was a club called Hobart Zebras. It was Italian in its ethnicity. They've now merged with another club called Clarence Zebras. Uh, but I spent a season there and then dropped down a division and moved to the club I'm currently at now. And the club that you're currently at now, now we've literally gone full circle, which is what this is all about, really. You've now taken on a completely different role to just playing football, haven't you? Yeah, correct. So I'm now at a club called Glenorchy Knights. <clears throat> um, and my role there is um, I'm head coach. So we have the league we play in is called national. It's a national Premier League, even though it is geographically split up into the states. So it's the Tasmanian National Premier League, um, and I'm the head coach there. And I have a role there, which is called a technical director. 
essentially my job is to develop player pathways from youth into senior football. So we want to develop and grow our, our players into the first team. And the same thing for the coaching staff. We want to develop our coaches so they're able to work at a higher level as possible or develop players as best as possible. My role also stretches into developing routes and pathways into primary schools in our municipality. Whenever we, because we do have a junior club as well, but we want to try and draw as many players to the club as possible and build the club into a destination club that people know that they can come to and receive decent football education and feel safe and it's fun and family friendly. Good, good words are used then, feel safe. That's so important. Very good. Very good. Yeah, it is now. It is now. When these kids are sort of like, I mean, I don't, what's your youngest do you take them in now? Seven, eight? Under, under sixes, under sevens, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. impressionable age. And, uh, you know, you make, you've got to make sure that all the, all the uh, everything's in place to safeguard them and also safeguard others, others around them. As far as numbers within the club, how many teams have you, you, you know, do you have to manage now, in a sense, overall manage? Um, so that we've got three men's senior sites. So we have the National Premier League and then we have a reserve site and then another reserve site under that. We have two senior women's sites. We have a social side, which is all the old boys over 35 <laughs> that still like to have a run around. No, that's not me. I'm only, I'm only 32, Tony. I see you pointing, mate. <laughs> um, um, and then we've got an 18 side, a 16s, two 15s, four 14s, three youth girl sides, um, 13s, and then obviously our juniors, which range from under 12s to under 6s. And there's a fair few there as well. That's good. So we've got over, I think we've got over 400 registered players at the club. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Mm. And I, I presume this is an assumption, I don't really know, but is it a bit like the way that the world's going as far as the UK is concerned now with the focus on youth? any funding that's available comes almost via the youth section. Oh, very much so. And that's been the problem with Australian football for some time. You just touched on it. It's pretty, it's a worldwide issue. A lot of the funds at the top are drawn from the grassroots level. Um, we're, we're quite lucky in terms of the NPL setup. So our, our first team setup, when I say lucky, the committee at the club will work extremely hard and they have a lot of very good connections that they're able to draw fantastic sponsorship. So um, the finances that go in towards the men's side and the women's sides and my job essentially uh, come from, from come from the sponsorship that they're able to drive from, from businesses around the community. Well, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in checking on your club. So... When this is all over, if you'd send me a link to it, please. Um, oh, look, it, you can see it all on YouTube. So our games are live streamed. All right, brilliant. So all our fixtures are live streamed. Um, you can watch it on YouTube. You just go to Football Tasmania um, and it will come up with the, you know, the live stream link and National Premier League. You, know, you can watch Women's Super League games, which is the top female state league, um, league in the state, the Men's National Premier League. Um, yeah, what I'll say about Tasmania is, you know, the standard is improving and the application to the game is improving. The quality hasn't been there for quite some time, but that's going in the right direction. But um, the attitude towards it is really great. Like the club's facilities are all pretty good. Um, you know, the sport of supportive behaviour is really good. You know, clubs treat players fairly, uh, you know, and having every game videoed is 
you know, they're straight up on live stream. If you're a supporter and you can't get to the game, you can sit on your laptop or on your phone and you can watch your side play. And if you want to watch the opposition, it's just as easy to do. What do you actually do to record it? Do you use, is it VO? What do you, what do you use then? So, so um, buy on stream. So the, the, the state federation or the governing body, um, that's part of the licence the clubs pay to be in, in the top division. A portion of that licence fee goes towards this company having professional audio and visual set up there. So... Brilliant. They're able to access. Well, from what I can, from what I can understand, is I think uh, the governing body receives some financial help from a lot of betting agencies now, Tony. So yeah. there's a lot of betting happening on the football, and we we got we got you know 14 games in our season last year. There are eight sides in our league, and um, when, if, with the COVID stuff, that was obviously cut down to 14. We played each other twice home and away. And, we got nearly a full, nearly a proper season in for what for us. On COVID now, what's the situation at the moment? Well, in Tasmania, we haven't had a case for I think it's just under a year. Not one. Not one. We were not one. No, we were incredibly lucky. We were a little island, Tony. So yeah. when 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 everything kind of went to pot, um, they shut the borders down. They you know made a lot of um, legislation or law to restrict people's ability to socialise, quarantining, things like that were really heavy. But it's easier to police, mate, because you've got to get on a boat for 12 hours or you've got to fly on a plane for an hour before getting in the place. Yeah. And there aren't many people that are willing to get on the boat across the Bass Strait for 12 hours. Um, and, and then from there, you know, like anyone that comes in gets tested. And if you've been in a hot spot where there's been a breakout, you've got to stay indoors for two weeks and... Yeah, like I said, life here has been just about normal for eight months. And the four months before that, you know, a lot of people in hospitality lost a lot of time, um, but the government put out some great support schemes so people weren't losing too much money. Uh, you know, it's been hard for a handful of people, I'm sure. But on a whole, and compared to the UK, we're almost everyday normal life. And what about you work-wise yourself? You said you're a carpenter or... Oh, I know. So that's another story too. You know, I when I moved back to the UK, I'd had enough of the construction industry completely, and um, I ended up moving completely to a different sector. So I'm now in education. So I'm a, I'm a teacher's assistant. So um, I work in a primary school or primary schools in classes with high need students, so kids with autism or learning disabilities or Down syndrome, that sort of stuff, behavioural issues as well. Quite often, um, I work with. Um, young boys who don't often enjoy the structure of a classroom so much, shall we say? Um, but and, and being a, you know a younger guy, uh, I think they they relate a little bit more than if it was someone's nan or someone's yeah. someone's mum. <laughs> yeah. So and 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 that for me has been my job for the last three years, and um, I've taken the hours down a little bit now that the football stuff has got busier and it's an incredibly rewarding job yeah i think probably uh you know you, you're probably aware of this but you, you probably your association with groups of people on the pitch and being able to take on a number of different people's problems issues whatever helps in the classroom as well doesn't it uh look in terms of um your emotional intelligence they're a handy skill to have for sure but that's the beauty of sport if you're right you know, 
involved with working in a team with other individuals and they've all got what they think's best and you've got what you think's best and you know managing those things together and then hopefully going in the same direction at the same time you know that's why we play sport from an early age on top of the exercise it's the whole yeah, lot isn't it absolutely speaking to a guy the other night and he was a forward and he had a guy who always always played alongside him off this season and they just didn't like each other it was just a clash of personalities but on the pitch they were a great team together he said it was really bizarre that, that's it, you know, and um, that's one of the main aspects of my role now is how can I get the best out of players? Um, but you might, you've got, like I said before, guys that all want different things from their football. And I suppose the job of a manager or a coach is to get that player to understand that we want the best for you too. We can't do that for everyone. How can we align what you want in with same as another person and then manage to get the strengths from you and the strengths of that person combining together for what helps the team out best and it's it's great that 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 sort of situation is they don't have to get on off the pitch but on the pitch the chemistry is important the thing that's been stuck in the back of my mind is how did you get on playing with pulley did you like playing with pulley no one likes playing with pulley absolutely no one likes playing with pulley a centre forward that can't hold a ball up. I, I honestly, an enigma. Would <laughs> he is though, isn't he? But you know, there's no questioning. There's no questioning. You know, he's in a bit. His ability to score goals, but an awful decision maker. An awful decision maker. I'll never forget. This is a lot. This is at Ramsgate when Tim Dixon was was in charge, and it was, I think we finished. We finished just outside the playoff positions by a couple points. It was last game of the season and we we're at home and I can't can't remember the opposition. Um, and it was, I think it was one one at a time and we needed to win. And in the last 10 or so minutes, 20 minutes of the game, we get a penalty, pulley flops in the box under a tackle. So that's, oh, yeah. that's well, that, right. Yeah, as he yeah, does. How he's, how, that's right, how his <laughs> knees used to just drop out and his yeah. little belly would hit the ground. Anyway, um, he's gone to take this penalty and he's tried to penenka it. Oh, you know what a yeah, yeah yeah so i mean this is the end of the season and it's at southwood there's no grass in the 18 yard box it's all it's all dry dirt and he's tried to little dink this penalty and it just about bounced into the goalkeeper's arms we drew the game on one and missed out on I, I, we i always reminded that it cost us promotion because there's no doubt we would have got in the playoffs and then buzzed all the way through into the punishment. <laughs> What a yeah. wonderful story to finish up on. That is fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, I'm going to love teasing him about that. Oh, I hope he is. I'll be getting into him about oh, it. Oh, he Don't will. worry. He will, definitely, without a doubt. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It really has been fun. And I'd like to thank you personally because you've persevered. Originally, we had uh, problems with uh, the microphone and the sound. You're now all gizzed up with all your mic on and it's fantastic audio now and then through my ineptitude with the uh our communication i let you down the other day but you personally well it it came into daylight savings time here as well tony so when i'd said oh eight o'clock it turned into nine o'clock without me even thinking about it either so it really was a dog's breakfast of organization <laughs> it's not getting there yeah but that's the time difference and everything else i'll yeah. tell you what james not only has it been a pleasure to talk to you tonight 
you give me a lot of pleasure when you played. I really enjoyed watching you play, mate. Don't don't do yourself down too much because you really did glide over the pitch. Well, in my eyes, you did anyway. <laughs> yeah, those glasses of yours must have fogged up at the time, <laughs> mate. <but> yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, we'll, anyway, we'll have to finish nice here. So from uh, me here at Belmont Banter and James Sherwood, who's a much-travelled footballer. Uh, all around the world, virtually. So uh, Tasmania, Australia, UK. Uh, it's been a pleasure, James. So thank you it's very much for taking the time, mate. And don't forget, when this comes out, send it to all your mates and uh, tease Polly about it as well. He's probably the only one I'll be able to send it to then. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James, very much indeed. Oh, Cheers, mate. Time. Thank you. Whitstable Town Football Club's main sponsor is Fibertech UK Limited. They are providers of optical fibre services to the telecoms industry, specialising in optical fibre provision, local and long haul. We offer a full turnkey solution to our clients throughout London and the south of England. Contact us through the website for more details. Your host, Tony Rouse, every week on Belmont Banter for news about local football in Kent and beyond. I do hope that you've enjoyed today's episode of Belmont Banter. Don't forget there's a new episode out every week which comes out on a Sunday night, early Monday morning. And you can leave your suggestions for a guest to invite at the end. And leave a like and don't forget to pass it on to all your mates. Cheers.